started recording. Okay, so for this, what was it? Um, I'm sorry. So the next couple of chapters you read was supposed to be, I believe, chapter seven through thirteen. And throughout these chapters, we go through Sandra and her family experiencing blatant racism from the Congolese people. Um, eventually going more into detail about what happened in the valley, uh, what's it called, the refugee camp they were in, and then eventually leading up to them leaving uh, where they were. So let me see. In chapter seven, the beginning, we start off with, <clears throat> we start off with Sandra talking about the blatant racism towards her family as they were fleeing, trying to flee the Congo. Um, they, I believe Sandra was still, she was about to go to school, but her dad stopped her and had them pack their bags. So they got, they got a car. And then as they were, as they were leaving, a big crowd came and started shaking the van, throwing things at them, and even going, like, reaching their arms into the car and punching them. This went on for like, I believe it went on for a couple of minutes, like 30 minutes, maybe an hour until someone came up had the car, found somebody who had the car keys and drove them out of the town. In chapter, which leads us into chapter eight. In chapter eight, they were able to escape the Congo and they resided in an open field where a bunch of other families were. The resources there were super like low grade. They had only a little bit of food, a little bit of water. And they had to go buy like small snacks and cleaning products from some of the little kids who were selling them. Let's see, that was it for chapter eight. In chapter nine, Sandra tells us specifically what happened after the soldier spared her. So I believe at the at the end of chapter one, she said someone spared her, and this is where we start getting into specifically what happened. So the soldier spared her and he ended up going to chase somebody else. After that, I believe Sandra, she ran away. Yeah, she went to go hide in like the grass and trees and she found a woman there. And the woman, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Okay, so a woman came up to her and was asking her where her mother was. And Sandra was scared and she was saying like, oh, I think she's dead. I don't know what happened to her. And the woman said, oh, no, she's alive. So they end up walking around and finding other people who are hiding and asking them if they were her mom. And as they're searching, Sandra's like, I'm like 100% sure that she's dead because I saw her get shot in front of me. But soon enough, uh, the woman finds Sandra's mom and her arm is like super shot up and she's hurt and everything, but she's still alive. Um, so Sandra's obviously happy that she's alive, but then she notices that her little sister isn't there. And that's because since her baby sister was on her mom's back during this, she ended up taking most of the damage and she died. And we, what happened after that? Okay, so after that, her, oh, after that, Sandra's mom tells her that Deborah, her two cousins and her aunt both passed away not both, they all had died during that experience. And so after, you know, hugging and crying with each other for a moment, they went out to go find their, they went out to go find Heritage and her father, which leads us into chapter 10. In chapter 10, Sandra and her mom find Heritage at like five o'clock in a farm, like, yeah, in a, in a farm area. 
and um, heritage. His like whole arm is almost blown off, but he's not like crying or he doesn't even look worried or anything. But that's because we, <clears throat> as we found out in the earlier chapters, he was like taken away, basically kidnapped to go to war. So he's used to this and it's he's too familiar with violence. So that's why he's not really showing any emotion. After they found Heritage, he took them to go find Alex, which is the, let me see, I think he's a younger brother. Yeah, he's younger than Heritage. So they go to find Heritage and the father who are also injured, but they're not as bad as Heritage and the mother who are like, you know, bleeding out with a bunch of gun wounds. So after they reunite with each other, they, it's technically like morning now. And that's where we are introduced to where the book title is. In chapter 10, trying to find the page. Oh, uh, remember page 82? Yep, page 83. She says, how dare the sunrise, which is, you know, ironic because that's the title. But now we have a better understanding of why she says that. Because even after the whole massacre with complete families being killed and taken away from each other, the sun still rises for another day. <clears throat> um so i believe that that kind of ends the chapter and we're into chapter 11 now where somehow sandra and her family go live with a distant relative they were kind of close by she said she doesn't really remember because of like everything that was happening everything was happening so fast so she kind of has a foggy memory but she knows that they are now in burundi i believe and now that they're there, they can get medical attention and have a moment to breathe from all the events. So during this time, her mother and her brother Heritage are in the hospital and they eventually get to go back home, but it's kind of hard for everyone. It's hard for Sandra's family and her distant relatives because no one really knows how to talk about what happened. And they're kind of bad at like comforting and helping each other so most of the time everyone is kind of just crying and having like what's it called they're kind of like traumatized obviously from the events and i feel like this hits sandra the most because in chapter chapter 11 i forgot which page she mentions she mentions that one not one night she mentions that throughout her night staying there she wakes up and she can't stop shaking so that kind of like I kind of saw that as her having panic attacks from what happened because in the middle of the night she would hear gunshots and everything. And then, let me see, chapter 11. Oh, well, I skipped chapter 12, sorry. Let me see. I think I for just forgot to write it down. Chapter 12. Okay, in chapter 12, Sandra is sent away to go stay with one of her favorite cousins. She's older than her. She has like her own family and everything, but she gets to go stay with them because that was like one of her favorite cousins. And her mom and dad, Sandra's mom and dad noticed that her mental health was pretty bad because, you know, as a kid, that's traumatizing to see. So they went sent her away so she can go relax and, you know, have a normal life for a little bit. We they sent her away for like three months. So during this time, you know, as a reader, we see Sandra actually being able to smile for once and enjoy herself with her younger cousins. 
And for a moment, it's refreshing. It's honestly nice to see that she's recovering a little bit. But as most things in this book, her happiness is soon shattered. So her uncle, uh, what's her name? Oh, as she's playing with her younger cousin, Gonza, she changed her name because of uh, what happens next. Uh, her uncle told Gonza to go to the market, which she questioned at first, and then she's like, okay, I guess I'll just go. And as soon as she left, Sandra's uncle forced himself on her, and he intended to rape her. And so throughout this, this chapter is a bit, um, it was like really nerve-wracking to read and uncomfortable because she's supposed to be there to recover and, you know, relax and try to breathe. But immediately she's hit with something else, which this, she mentioned in the book, is her first time talking about it since it happened. And he he failed to, not failed, his attempt at raping her failed because Gonza came back like a couple minutes later, so he couldn't do anything to her. So... After that, she he threatened her. He told her to be quiet or else she would get in trouble or she would be shamed and turn away from her family. But she didn't care. She wanted to go tell her younger cousin, Gonza. And when she told her, she said, my father would never do anything like that. That's, that's crazy. He would never do something like that. So that completely broke her. And, like, <laughs> sorry, it's hard to, like, explain and talk about because she's already experienced the death of her little sister her aunt and her two cousins um she saw her mom get shot in front of her and now she has to deal with the sexual assault of a trusted family member and her cousin doesn't believe her so at the i believe at the end of this chapter she says that in chapter 13, page 101, she said, it is not her responsibility to protect a predator. She said she stayed silent for nearly a decade and she has never told a soul. So this, she mentions that this book is her way of using her voice and talking about what happened and that she shouldn't feel bad for this. And I just, anyways, <laughs> that's the end of chapter 13. So, you know, we kind of end with her explaining how she wanted to help encourage other girls to speak up about their experiences because they shouldn't have to sit there in silence and feel shamed for something that someone else did. And then lastly, we are in chapter 13 where her and her family are, they get, they have the opportunity to leave like Africa as a whole and go to America. But it takes a long time because they are, what's it called? I think there was like a UN worker or someone asking them questions for months about the family, about what happened, to make sure that they could like come over and they would have enough, um, like there's somewhere for them to stay and they would have someone to help take care of them. So I believe each of the family members, they were kind of split into groups of who could go first and then who would go next. So Heritage was able to go first, and he had been there for a couple of months while the rest of the family was being asked questions. And eventually, I believe, and she said in 2007, they finally were able to leave and go to America. So, you know, you would think that she's excited and happy to go to America, but she says she's a little hesitant because she doesn't really know what America is going to be like. 
all she knows is that it like snows and that people are rich and happy. But you know, we as Americans know that not all of that is completely true. So we let, that's how we leave for chapter 13. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. We're left to wait for to read. Sorry, we are left to read the next chapter, and you know, she'll eventually tell us about her experience in America. So, for the questions I have, um, the first question I have is from chapter, it's kind of based off of chapter eight. I said, if the Congolese workers had no issue with tampering with the food for refugee children that caused them to get sick, do you think they would be okay with actually hurting and killing these kids? Um, I think that there's like some discrepancy in like the Congolese workers. Like, I feel like some of them would just like only like play pranks on them or something, or mm -hmm. or like do something to the food. But then there's some that have actual hatred because they are an inferior group, and okay. they would actually want to like hurt someone. But, yeah, so not like actually you know, like physically, well I not mean, physically, but you know, like killing and hurting them. I feel like stuff. that in like all societies, there's always going to be a few people who have a lot more hatred towards a certain group and are more likely mm -hmm. to hurt that group. But I feel like the majority wouldn't, I don't think their conscience would let them hurt someone. Okay. I feel like if they were to go as far as to tamper the food of that, the, that children were going to eat, they're going to harm children and, and give them food poisoning, then it just shows how much, uh, like um, Zachary said, to make them seem, or they're just trying to show that they are, that Sandra's group is inferior. They're trying to prove their power, um, even to go as far as harming children. Mm -hmm. And like the guy who came up to the car and punched Sandra's little sister. Yeah. So I could, they wouldn't actually, um, they're fine with like, you know, exerting their dominance and hatred towards them by, you know, messing, tampering with the food, uh, throwing things at them, you know, stuff like that. Okay, for question two, <clears throat> this is from... Uh, when De Sandra's sister died in chapter nine. So I put Deborah, Sandra's baby sister died wearing her basketball jersey with a nine on it. Do you think this will come up later in the book? And what other materials do you think will come up later in the story that has already been mentioned? Um, I feel like it might have some significance, um, kind of like how they were was talking about her blue dress in the beginning and then mm -hmm. when, she, when they had the little ceremony thing. Yep. Do you think that maybe when she goes to uh, America, she'll see something and it'll remind her of it? I feel like it might trigger some, like, uh, tr like it'll trigger her PTSD from the event, maybe. Yeah, yeah okay. I agree with Abigail. Mm -hmm. Like, I like I don't think that the actual jersey will pop up somewhere, but I think something like, like a basketball jersey from America or just some sort of jersey from America would um bring back memories of that day and i definitely think that the jersey that deborah was wearing had a lot of symbolism and kind of showed that a part of um a part of sanjo would always be with deborah mm -hmm. 
Oh, good answers. I like those. All right. Uh, question three. <clears throat> what do you, what mental illness or, uh, yeah, what mental illness do you think Sandra will begin to deal with in the later chapters or later in the book? Uh, Based off of what we know. Mm -hmm. um, probably anxiety and depression. I'd say those three are the top ones. Um, I'm not sure. I I feel like that uh mental stuff like mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. I don't know if these experience will uh I feel like it'd be more fueling PTSD instead of depression, possibly. But I think that depression does come with PTSD. Yeah. So I think that it would be more um like PTSD, but it would still have other mental illnesses like possibly mm -hmm. eating disorders or depression or that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So for question four, um, it's uh, I forgot to write down the specific chapter, but it's been mentioned a couple of times where Sandra's mom or her dad or her entire family will pray. We especially see it when they go to the refugee camp and they don't have a lot of like supplies or food or water, they're always praying. And even at the refugee camp, they still had church sessions and everything like that. So my question is, when people have nothing left, they tend to rely or believe in a higher power such as God. What do you think happens when that power doesn't come through for them or, you know, they have nothing left? Um, I feel that they would just lose all hope. Um, kind of like, I don't know, uh, I know about the end of one of the chapters, as she said that it, she said her family was praying and that there was something that said, this faith will soon be taken, something along the lines of that. Mm -hmm. uh, it might have been before the chapter she describes um, her sexual assault. Yeah, but I feel like at that point, like if religion, like at that point, if they pray and pray and she gives up on praying and like her faith, but not all, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I kind of know what you mean. So, like, her belief and her, like you said, like her faith in God or the higher power that they believe in is kind of faltering because of all that's happened. And yeah, and then she'll just lose hope and just mm -hmm. feel like there is no escape there. It's just, it's just an endless suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, um, I feel like that she might have lost a little respect for God, but mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, she also did pray to him when she was being held at gunpoint by the, um, by the terrorist, mm -hmm. but then, mm -hmm. um, fate gave her another chance and terrorists went off to go look for someone else and she was able to escape. So... I feel like that she might be a little mad because uh, uh, God took away someone that she really loved, but at the same time, he also granted her another chance. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, kind of this question, I mean, still adding on to question four, but do you think that um, after all these events and things that have happened and her continuously praying to God, but, or, you know, praying and worshiping, do you everything still you know bad was happening like she you know her sister died got sexually assaulted do you think things like this can make up stronger oh no definitely because um seeing as how she made this book and she said this book is my voice all of her experience like 
collectively just made her into a better person, into a stronger person. She used yeah. all of her trauma um, and made it into something powerful, into something meaningful for other people to learn from. Mm -hmm. I believe yeah. that um, once she eventually moves on from all of the bad, it's going to help shape her to have a better character and be nicer to other people and to not take anything for granted. Okay. Right. Let's see. Uh, all right. Last question. What are some concerns or questions you have about some of the things that are normalized in Sandra's culture? Um, well, rape. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, she was saying there wasn't even a word for rape. Um, and Whereas, although it was common, it was just seen as shameful, even if it wasn't the girl's fault. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, dictate their, I can't dictate their culture or say this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. I can yeah. believe that it's not right, but I can't change anything. It's just, in a sense, yes, this is, uh, that is a dark thing that the girls in their country have to face and mm -hmm. live through. Yeah, I like to mm -hmm. add on to that, uh, the fact that, like, rape like um is so silenced already in the u.s and then to hear that's even more silenced in these like third world countries that's worrying and i feel like that um it's hard for stuff to get done for it too because it's not as organized of a kind of um democracy so it's yeah. hard to kind mm -hmm. of, it's hard to put things in place to prevent that kind of thing from happening mm -hmm. Like the community might be upset because she's breaking the culture of silence, but she still did it anyways because it's not her position to protect the family. Yeah, exactly. I that. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, so that was it that I had for questions. Um, if anyone else is ready to take mm -hmm. over, go ahead. So I had uh, rhetorical analysis, and I guess because of time, I think we only have like 22 minutes left. Oh, um, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. No, I um, can, um, I have, uh, okay, so we're at 22 minutes right now, and mm -hmm. I could just save this episode and then start a new one, and that could just be part two or something. Okay, all right. Uh, you can go ahead, though. I still have a little bit of time. Okay. Um, well, mine was about, like, lifting the assumptions and biases that she had in the story. Um, I'll name a few, like... Uh, let's see. Um, on page like 100, she said, she said, if an older uncle or male cousin tried to hug me, I got fidgety and nervous. I tried to make mm -hmm. sure if older men came to our home. So I said that this bias stemmed from the fact that she was sexually harassed by a male mm -hmm. relative. Um, mm -hmm. and she considered all men dangerous, whether they were family or not, because she was fearful. She didn't want that to happen to her again because it was so mm -hmm. painful. It was so harrowing to her. Yeah. And she could she just couldn't trust anyone else. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um and oh, uh an assumption what from page one hundred and seven. Oh wait. Uh oh sorry. Uh one third one. She said it was a land where people are where this is when she was talking about America. Uh, it was the land where people were happy and rich. I also figured there were a lot of white people there. I had a feeling that nothing bad ever happened to people in America, the land of opportunity. I thought once we got there, everything would be fine. Little did I know. So it's like a bias and assumption because 
she assumes that America is a happy place. It's a land of opportunity and hope yeah. and just start a new life. Um, and this bias was formed because of everything she saw on the TV and when case workers were telling her. So that was the only thing she can base it off of. That's what the only, uh, like her only view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping to start a brand new life. But as she said, people, you know, that foreshadows a bunch of horrible things maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. worse things, but just as bad things happening to her. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess I'll explain one more. Okay. Um, on page 75, she said, the man, the gun, and me frozen in time. I closed my eyes. No way out. There was no time to think anyway. I supposed in that instant, I felt more peace than panic. It was all beyond my control. Then, in a flash amid the chaos, somehow I got kicked to the ground. The gunmen weren't chasing after someone else. Fate had given me another chance. So this assumption, uh, I said the author truly believed that fate had given her another chance because it definitely did. Um, it comes from how she was second, seconds away from losing her life in an infant, um, but the crew decided to go for someone else, and this gave her one, one more shot to try and save herself and be reunited with her family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, uh, I'm just I'm gonna end this podcast and then just start a new one so we can start fresh for the evidence checker. Mm-hmm.